Morning, church. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, today's reading is in Luke chapter 12, from verse 13 to verse 21. It reads as follows. And one of the com- company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Men, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid upon, up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou, which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. Amen. Of Luke in that passage that was read to us. And may the Lord build us up in His truth today. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. As we begin this morning, I would like to just read, as I normally do, just one verse from the text. And so why don't we read verse number 20, and then we'll pray as we begin. Luke chapter 12, verse 20. If you have it, you can read it out loud with me. Here we go. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, God, that we are freely loved of you. And that we do not have to work. We do not have to labor for Your love. Because You have already showed Your love. And You show Your love to us every day through the death and life of Jesus Christ. So we thank You, Lord Jesus, that yea, You died. And You died indeed unto sin once, but You live unto God forever. And you're victorious over all sin and over all temptations. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're our conquering hero. And you're our Savior. You're the lover of our soul. And help us, God, as we consider this morning this rich fool, the emptiness of his full life, a fool's life. Yet, we can be rich toward you, Lord. Help us to have that richness and live with our riches toward You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we continue our series on the parables today. And this is the parable, a very famous parable, found only in the Gospel of Luke. And this is why we need all four Gospels. This parable is only found in Luke's Gospel. I'm featuring also 
a great painting by the, the great Rembrandt in, our, in the message today. That is a Rembrandt of the rich fool. So if I were to ask you this question, what is your value? What is your value? How much are you worth? Now, instantly we might think of our value merely in monetary ways, our investments, our portfolio, or maybe what we own, a house, or maybe the work that we do. But you're worth much more than any of that. In fact, Jesus put a value on you. When He said, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So think about that. So you could own the entire world and every dollar and every penny in, in the entire world. That would make you a lot richer than Jeff Bezos, I think. And yet, your soul has more value than all of that, according to the one who created the world. Think of that. Your soul, one soul, has more value to God than all the wealth of this world combined. And you should see yourself in that way of value. Now, God calls this man who if we were to see him and if we had got to know this dude, we would honor him. He was a wealthy landowner. But God calls this man that probably everybody would have liked to trade places with him. Think of it. He was rich. He was successful. He was prosperous. And you know what? He didn't get his riches in any kind of fraudulent way. He wasn't, he wasn't selling illicit commodities. He, he had gotten his prosperity through hard work and ingenuity. And he, he, he had a product that was good in itself. It was food and fruits. But God calls this man who, again, I mean, just look at who's on the headlines of our papers. They always focus on the rich people. If something happens to the rich person, because people are interested in the rich people. Oh, and and they often want to try to be like them until they get into all these terrible troubles, you know. But God calls this one that seemingly everyone would die to change places for a fool, and he's actually the last person you would want to trade places with on the day of judgment. You would not want to be in his shoes on that day. Amen? Amen. So, the big idea of this story is to be rich in God's sight, you must reject covetousness. To be rich in God's sight, you must reject covetousness. So I, I entitle this message, The Emptiness of a Full Life. Because this rich fool was so covetous And so full of what? Stuff. But he was really empty. And his emptiness was greater than his fullness. I almost thought about calling this message the emptiness of a fool's life. Because a fool might be full, but very empty in that sense. So the three things we see about this 
man's life so full but yet empty is he was first of all full of what? He was full of who? He was full of himself, but he was empty of who? He was empty of God. Full of self and empty of God. Now notice in the text what it says, where he's saying to himself, he's thinking to himself, what shall I do? I have no room. This will I do. I will pull down my barns because I have to find a place for my fruits and my goods and it's all about me, 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 I, I, I. So six times in this parable is the personal pronoun I and five times my. He's full of himself. So the greatest reality of a fool is what is based on what? It's only about what I can see, man. I can't believe in your God because I ain't seen Him, you know? So I, I serve what I can see. I live what I can, for what I can touch and feel. And it's easy to get preoccupied with stuff, isn't it? Because we need stuff. We all have stuff. Thank the Lord we're wearing clothes, you know? And you can't leave your house without things and stuff. And we need a roof. And we have to eat food. And God, God has made us with all of these physical needs that are absolutely legitimate. But, and to find balance in life with the stuff and what I actually need versus what are, what are my needs versus what are my greeds. <laughs> it's not easy. That's not easy to do. I mean, for example, I, I look at some cars. I was talking about this yesterday with Frank. I said, I really like Range Rovers cars, you know, they're really a really nice car, but it's just, it's a luxury car and I don't need that kind of luxury. I just need stability and something that's safe and nice, you know, but, but not super luxury because, you know, you have, to, you have to balance things out in life. I don't want the church people wondering, how does a pastor afford a Range Rover, you know? I mean, so I, I don't want you whispering about my being a greedy man over my cars, you know? But the greatest reality of a fool is based on what he can see, what he can touch, what he can feel. And his life is completely centered on himself. His fruit, his barns, and even, he says at the end, I will say, verse number 19, this is the most indicting thing maybe of this fool. He says, I will say to what? My soul. That which is worth more than all of the kingdoms of this world. He forgot who owned his soul. What does the Bible say? God says, all souls are mine. You know, your soul isn't your, your own. God gave it to you. So full of self, empty of God. While he saw all his possessions clearly, he did not see that it was God himself who had provided his prosperity. So look at the text, what it says. It says in verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man, Jesus' teaching here, brought forth plentifully. Now notice again how Jesus is teaching this parable so wisely. He doesn't say the man worked, the man plowed, the man sowed the seed, you know, he worked. Now, did he have to work to get a harvest? Yeah, but that's not the emphasis here. Jesus says the land of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So what's, what is the point? Why does Jesus say it in that way? Because 
the rich man has to realize that even though he had to work the ground, plow the field, plant it, cultivate it, harvest it, and all of that will take work and planning, it's ultimately God Himself who brought the increase. Because He didn't make the ground. He didn't make the seed. He didn't make the laws of the harvest. And He didn't even give Himself the strength He had to do it all. Who gave Him the strength? God gave Him the strength. God gave Him... So, and and, in the end, He could have worked very hard for a harvest and there could have been what? A drought or a flood and washed everything away. So He had to give God some thanks. Did you notice our special today? I said to Ruth, after she finished the special, I said, why did you play that song during the offertory? Did you catch it? It was, this is my Father's world. And that's what this rich fool didn't recognize. He rejected the most fundamental principle of life. That God is Creator. I am here in His image. And all I have is ultimately from Him. And I need to glorify God with my life. Because without Him, I am nothing. G. Campbell Morgan said, Intellect, divorced from deity, deals only with the dust. Are you dealing with just dust today? Full of self. Empty of God. The way to be rich toward God is to be dead to self and full of God. Now, which would you rather be? Would you rather be full of self or full of God? Because that's the Christian life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the Christian life. That we could have... Understand the fullness of God and the fullness of the Holy Spirit can dwell in us and we can be filled with the Spirit of God. Why be full of self when you could be full of the Spirit of Jesus Christ? Because when we're full of the Spirit of Jesus, we have what really everybody wants. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith. So, he was full of self, empty of God. The second thing is, he was full of covetousness, empty of compassion. This parable started when a man came to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, Master, I've got a situation. Life isn't fair. (laughs) And somebody's treating me unfairly. It's my brother. Tell him to divide the inheritance with me. He's trying to steal the inheritance. (laughs) Do you know what Jesus wouldn't do? Get in the middle of two relatives warring over an inheritance. That's wisdom. Just stay away. Even in my own family, if people start fighting over the inheritance, I'll walk away. It's not worth it. Jesus didn't deal with that. He said, am I the executor of your estate? (laughs) Did you make me the executor? (laughs) Because that's when he says, who made me a judge or a divider? A divider is the idea of an executor, somebody who, who has control of the estate. So, Jesus said, that's not the problem. 
The problem here is covetousness. And so he goes right to the root of the issue. In verse number 15, Jesus told this man, he said to them, take heed and beware of what? Of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Your life is not ultimately held together with all your stuff. God holds everything together with His power. The power of His Word. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1. I define covetousness, that greedy eye, as an uncontrollable desire to acquire. I mean, there's different ways you could say it, but I think that is just short to the point. It's when the desire to acquire it just gets out of control. And you, you develop idols in your heart. You have to have this. You have to have that. And, and all these gods spring up. Your, your heart is like an idol maker. And it will make idols and little gods very quickly. Oh, I have to have that. I want that. I've got to go there. I've got to be that. I've got to do that. I have to. Oh, yeah. Boop, 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 boop. You know, just undesirable, unquenchable, uncontrollable desire to acquire. You know, covetousness is such a sin that in the Ten Commandments, where is it listed of the Ten? Remember the Ten Commandments? Where is it listed? Is it the first one, second one, third one, or the tenth? The tenth. But sometimes when you say something at the end, it's for special emphasis. Because the way I look at covetousness, and if you go to that passage real quick, it's in Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are given. And in Exodus chapter 20, the Tenth Commandment is thou shalt not covet, which is basically lust. Lust is when you're lusting for something that's ultimately something you don't have and maybe God doesn't even want you to have it at that moment, but you want to have it and you want to have it now. So what will you do to get something you, you covet? Well, you'll basically break every other commandment. So the, the, the sin of covetousness, the way I look at it, it, it can reach its greedy hands up into almost every other commandment. And the, so covetousness can be prevalent in Every other commandment, just about. I mean, if you think about it. For example, he says, thou shalt not covet. What's the one right before that? You shall not steal. Okay, so if you're stealing, what are you doing? You're coveting. Or you shall not kill. Why? Do, what is a reason? Not every time, but what is a reason people sometimes kill? Because of covetousness. You, you shall not uh, commit adultery. Well, that's lust. Committing adultery is covetousness. You're coveting somebody else's wife. That, that is not yours. Or you're having premarital relations with someone that you're not married to. If you're not married to that person, he or she is not yours either. And that's a sin. Fornication and adultery are sins. They're sins of covetousness, of lust. You shall not lie. Why do people lie? Many times because of covetousness. Why do people have other, uh, have other gods? That's covetousness to have other gods and, and so forth. So it's a terrible sin. That's why Jesus goes right to it. Are you coveting? Is your heart full of covetousness? An uncontrollable desire to acquire. Just, I say, examine yourselves. And look, 
Because covetousness will reach its greedy hands out of your heart and commit many other sins. Lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, fornication, idolatry. And this man was so full of covetousness, he was so empty of what? Compassion. Because all he could see was his barns that were full, but he had no compassion for anyone else who may have had need. It never occurred to him, maybe I, have, maybe I could give something away. Never occurred to him. He didn't think about the empty barns of his poor neighbor who maybe their crop was destroyed by locusts that year. He didn't consider the empty cupboards of the widow who had just lost her husband and had financial need. He didn't consider the empty stomachs of, of hungry children who were orphaned. He just thought, my barns are full, so full, i got to build something bigger for me. You know? Think about if you met this dude, and you said, and you, you tried to kind of encourage him to maybe give some of that up. Maybe, maybe you should give up some of your wealth and maybe give it to the orphans or give it to a widow. Find somebody who has a need. People resist that sometimes. And many people resist the Lord for that reason too, because they've got their eye on things of what they want to do and what they want to be and what they want to have. And they feel like, if I become a Christian, God's going to get in the way of what I really want. <laughs> they, 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 a lot of people see God as some kind of a, of a mean ogre who wants to keep me back from being really satisfied and joy-filled. No, don't, don't look at God that way. But a lot of people might actually say to themselves, I, I would be a Christian, but I don't want to give up what I've worked so hard to do. Many people will not come to Christ and be saved because they think they have too much to lose. So I, I pose this question. What do you have to lose if you don't believe in Christ? What do you have to lose? What, what are you going to have to give up, so to speak? The first thing you have to lose, you will lose if you don't become a Christian. You will lose what? In the end, everything, because that's what this man lost. He died and left everything behind, and from what we know of the story is he lost his soul. So you ultimately have everything to lose because your soul is worth everything, and there is not, you cannot make a good deal when it comes to your soul. In other words, you can't trade away your soul for something and say, oh man, I, did, I made a good deal there, you know? No, anything you do to trade your soul away for fame, for riches, it's a bad deal because, again, as we said, your soul is of more value than all the wealth of this world. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul. So that's the first way I can answer that. The second way I would answer that, what do you have to lose if you don't come to Christ? You know what you have to lose? Harmful things. You, you give up things that ultimately are not going to help you, but will hurt you. You know, so often in my mind's eye, I go back to when I first became a Christian. And I, I, I like to remember those moments when you first became saved. I was at Clemson University down in South Carolina, and 
I had, I, had, I had believed in Christ, but, you know, I was still doing things that, you know, I, I wouldn't do now. One of those things is I went into a bar and I had a beer with my friends. Because my friends were, one of my friends, Warren, he said to me, he said, man, I know other people who became Christian and, and they, were, they weren't cool anymore. I said, don't worry, Warren, I'll still be cool. Duh. So, but anyway, so I went into a bar with my friends and I had a beer. And you know why I remember that? It's the last beer I ever had. Because when we were done having our beer, and I was fumbling around for, for change, my friends had paid, and they left me in the bar. And so I'm paying for the beer, and they're like half a block down the street. I thought, what kind of friends is this? And I, and I was just convicted my spirit that I shouldn't be drinking and from that day till now I've not drank a drop of alcohol and you know what I don't miss it one bit I haven't given up anything only what's going to hurt me in the end because I've seen the danger and the harm that alcohol has done to people even in my own family Psalm 84, verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. The only thing we have to lose is, is harmful things because our God is good. And He's love. And He doesn't withhold things from us. He will not withhold anything from us that is not for our good and His ultimate Glory. No good thing will He withhold. That's what it says. And the third thing, and you might say this sounds like a contradiction, but what do you have to lose? I say, well, everything on one standpoint, when you look at what you'll lose, your soul, if you trade covetousness for Christ, <clears throat> you'll lose harmful things. But in the end, if you, if you come to Jesus, you know what you'll lose? You'll lose nothing. And I think of Paul's statement when Paul said, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but what? Dung! That I may win Christ. In other words, the things of this world, in comparison to Christ, what are they? What are they like? It's like a pile of manure. Literally, that's what he said. All the riches of the world, in comparison to Jesus, in comparison to who we gain when we love Him and live for God and live a life of, of God's love and compassion and not a life of covetousness, is that we gain Christ, friendship with Jesus, Peace with God. The peace of God. The joy of the Lord. I, I gain the, the fellowship of His Holy Spirit. I gain understanding in the Word of God. To read the Bible is such a joy, such peace and comfort from the Word of God. And the things of this world, Paul says, and he had a lot of stuff in this world before he was saved. Just pile of dung. So we don't have anything. Don't be afraid to come to Jesus. You say, well, what about my friends? What about them? 
you gain the best friend you'll ever have. You'll, you'll gain a friend who won't walk out on you, <laughs> you know, when you're fumbling around <laughs> in life. What about my family? I don't know. What about your family? You know, some people have been ostracized from their family because they believe in Jesus Christ. Guess what? They get another, they're in another family. They're in an eternal family. I, I believe in the family. I love family. I believe we should do all we can and work toward having a good relationship with our family because we only have one family and God put us in that family by a sovereign, His sovereign wisdom. And families are sometimes difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to get along with family. But we need to pray for them and work toward having a relationship with them. But sometimes families will turn against us for, for the sake of Christ. And if that happens, you have Jesus. So, he was, here's the emptiness of a full life. He was full of self, but he was empty of God. He was full of covetousness, but empty of compassion. And the third thing is, he is full of plans, but empty of time. Now, this guy had a lot of plans. And as I said earlier, his plans were not wrong in themselves. He wanted to pull down his barns. What's wrong with that? He wanted to build new barns. Is there anything on the surface wrong with that? No. But notice what he says about it, though. He says, I've got this problem, a dilemma. I've got no room for my fruits. This will I do, verse 18. I will pull down my barns and build greater. Then will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul that has much goods laid up for many years, take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, this night God comes in like a clap of thumb, thunder. Boom! Fool. <laughs> You're going to die. You're going to meet God. Now that's the twist of the story. We didn't realize when we first, when Jesus first taught the parable, we didn't realize that we were actually reading about a man or the story is about a man whose life was hanging on by a thread. We didn't realize that at the beginning. When his, his, it seemed like he was success and his success would, you know, he would figure it out somehow. But we didn't, Whoa, 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 wait a Oh, oh, he's going to die? <laughs> That's the twist. Is that he was actually hanging by a thread the entire time while he thought, and we thought with him in the story, he had plenty of time. But he had no time. But he had plenty of plans. Full of plans. Empty of time. Well, what was wrong with his plans? It's not wrong to plan. They say if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That's true. There's nothing wrong with plans. Every business model has plans for that business to succeed. But the problem with his plans wasn't that he had plans, is that God was not in any of them. <laughs> that was the problem. It was I, 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 my, my, my. Now go to J James, please. James chapter 4. And James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament. And here he tells the wisdom of planning as well. So you have to plan. You, you, for those who have been married, let me ask you this. You ladies, 
who've been married. Did you plan your wedding day? Yeah. <laughs> Every second of the day was like, boop, 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 plan, you know. <laughs> but, you know, a Christian planning a wedding is going to plan with the Lord. It's all about God, right? It's about bringing glory and praise to God on that wedding day. So you put God in the, in the middle of that plan. So you plan a family, you plan a home, you plan your business, you plan to go to school. All, we do all kinds of plans. Now look at James, what he says about plans here. In James chapter 4 and verse 13, James says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain." Okay, so what does he plan? He plans the when, today or tomorrow. He plans where, we're going to go into that city. He plans for how long, he says, for a year. Isn't that interesting? We'll continue a year. He he plans what they're going to do. They're going to buy and sell. So he's got a plan. And then he, he plans the result. The, we're doing all this. We're going to get gain. So that was his plan. Now, in business, that's good. It's not wrong to have those plans. But it's wrong not to include God in them, as we read even what James says. Because God, James says then after that, whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. You see, you, you can plan for tomorrow, but you don't know what's going to happen ultimately. What is your life? And here is the most profound and brief definition of life itself. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time. That's your life. A little time. Say it with me. What is your life? A little time. That's it. That's it. That's what life is. We got a little time. And he says it appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, and here's what what the planner missed, and here's what the rich fool missed. You ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this and do that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. In other words, you rejoice in what you're going to do and how much you're going to make and how you're going to be successful, but without God, you're a fool. You're a fool. You know, the Bible calls a man who says, no God. The fool hath said in his heart, what? There is no God. Or no God. But, but this rich fool, I don't know, if, I don't know, but if you were to go up to him he, and say, do you believe in God? He might say, oh yeah, of course I believe. What do you think? Of course I believe in God. What do you think I am? But he was pr- a practical atheist. It doesn't matter whether he said he believes in God or not. He's living as if there is no God. How are you living? You say you believe in God. But do you live like there's a God who loves you and who is sovereign over your life? Is God in your plans? The second thing is, look, go back to our text and look what Jesus said, this man said. So, and, and think about this. In the midst of all his wealth, did he have peace? Did he have rest yet? Did he, was he happy yet? No, not yet. <laughs> because he said, i got this problem, you know. Because I have this problem, I can't be at rest. There's, there's no rest in me, man. I'm stressed. 
and no rest. And, and I'm not happy about this problem. When I get the problem fixed, then I'll be happy. When I get the bigger barns, then I'll be able to say to my soul, oh, soul, you've got all these goods now laid up for many years in these big, beautiful barns. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be mad. Then, So he planned in the future to have rest and to be happy. But he never got there. Now, you see that word ease? He was planning to have ease. He will say, and it's all in the future, I will say, are you with me? Did he have rest when he had the little barns? Was he happy about his little barns? What was going to give him rest? What was going to give him happiness? Bigger barns. So what was he trusting in for rest and happiness? Bigger barns. Now that word ease, do you know Jesus used it? Jesus used it when He said, Come unto Me, all you who are stressed out with your work, who have your goals, but they seem so far from being accomplished, <laughs> who have little barns, but you want bigger ones. Come unto Me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. That's the word, ease. That's the same word, ease, rest. The rest we ultimately need in this life is not going to come from bigger barns. It's going to come from Jesus. Come to Jesus, dear friends. That's what Jesus said. Not, this is what Jesus said, not me. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Come unto me, Jesus said. You can go to Jesus. You can get on your knees. You can call out to Him. You can open up the Bible and say, Oh God, speak to me. If you don't speak to me, I can't live without you speaking to me from your Word. Talk to me as friend to friend. Oh God, I need to know you. And He'll show you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the Bible. The, The rest comes from Jesus. And be merry. That's the word rejoicing. It's used in Acts 2.22. The word merry is used in Acts 2.22 for the rejoicing that someone has when they believe in the resurrection. Now, if you believe in the resurrection, you can have what right now? Rejoicing. You could have that merry heart. You don't have to have bigger more. You don't have to wait for that. You don't have to wait to have rest for your soul and to have rejoicing in your heart. You can have that when? Right now. Right now. Isn't that much better to live that way? The last thing is, he planned for the uncertainty of time, but he didn't plan for eternity. That's a fool. Here's a really smart guy. I mean, a really wealthy man. A man who would be respected. A man who had some integrity. As I said, I I believe this man had had financial integrity business integrity, honesty. He didn't steal. He didn't get what he got through lying and cheating others. But God says, you're a fool because you planned for time and not for eternity. You know, I thought back over our years of ministry here in the city. There was a young girl who came to our vacation Bible school when we were in Brooklyn in 1989. Her name was Kashani. And she was standing in the lobby of her building on East 21st Street in Flatbush, Brooklyn, on Newkirk, by Newkirk Avenue. Just standing in her building, 
and guns started going off and 14-year-old Kashani Green was killed right there. A bystander. There's actually an article. I saw it in the Times. I went back to... The New York Times article said a bystander was just killed. When we were in Queens, there was a young lady. She came to our Bible clubs and our vacation Bible school, Anita Green. I left that church to start Heritage. And I remember this clearly. In May of 2000, there was a terrible, terrible murder. They called it the Wendy's Massacre. It's on, you could look it up. Where a former worker of the Wendy's basically gagged and bound and, and brutally murdered the workers that were in that Wendy's that night. One of the girls who was in there had been in our Bible clubs that we had when she was a young girl. She was, I think, 23 years old when Anita Smith died. She didn't expect that. She went to work that night. You know, we just don't know when our time is going to be. We have no idea. Back a few years ago, here at Heritage, we had a Bible school in the summer of 2009. Beautiful young girl named Leandra came to our Bible club all week, our vacation Bible time. She, won the, she was the student of the week. She memorized more verses than anyone. And this was national news back then. 2009. You could look this up. Her name was Leandra Rosado. She got in a car with seven other girls going to a slumber party and the driver of the car was drunk. And even the daughter, while they were driving along, said, Mom, slow down! And she was taunting the girls that they were going to have an accident. And that car flipped and Leandra was killed. But they, a law came out of it called Leandra's Law. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's about when children are dr- being dr- driven by a drunk drivers or when people are driving drunk and they hurt other people. There's now laws on the books because of Leandra's death. It's very tragic. But there she was. She was in our Bible school. I don't say this to scare you, but you know, this is, this is New York, man. I'm just saying, we, gotta get, we have to be ready to meet God. So an evangelist had a conversation with a student who had many plans. And the conversation went like this. What do you plan to do when you finish college? Oh, well, then I plan to go to law school. Oh, then what? Well, I'm going to set up my practice and help the community with my law. Well, then what? Well, then I'm going to buy a house and settle down and get married. Well, then what? Well, I'm going to have children and make sure they get a good education. Then what? Well, I'll retire and enjoy my grandchildren. Then what? Then I will die. Then what? Let's stand together as we pray. Are you rich toward God? Be rich in faith. Be rich in Christ. Be rich in compassion. And you'll be rich toward God. The love of Christ in your soul pouring through you to others. Be rich in putting God first in all of your plans. Saying, Lord, what wouldst Thou have me to do? You will be rich toward God when you're full of Christ and not self. When you're full of 
compassion and not covetousness, when you're full of plans that are for His glory, and then time will never run out. You know that for the Christian? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We have eternity to serve God here, and it's going to continue in heaven. To serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Are you rich toward God? How many say, Pastor Matt, I know that I'm saved by the grace of God. I know if I were to die, I have eternal life. And I don't want to live like this fool. I want to be full of Christ. I want to be full of His love. I want to be full of plans that, that are for His glory. Can I see your hand today? Just put it up and hold it there and just, just pray. Say, Lord, protect me because life is just a little time. Help me to be wise in this little time that I have. Help me not to glory in my wisdom or my riches, but help me to glory and rejoice that I know You, Lord, and that You know me and You love me. Just pray and thank Him. Thank Jesus. Say, Hallelujah, Lord. You may put your hands down. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I'm not saved. I need Jesus as my Savior. Is there anyone like that? That I could pray for you? If you were to die today, you would leave it all behind. And then what? Where will you go? Are you sure, 100% sure that you will go to heaven? If not, just put your hand up and say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I need to turn from my sin. I need to turn to Jesus who loves me. He died to pay the penalty for my sin. And He rose again. I know He's alive. Is there anyone? Can I pray for you? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Sister Yvonne, good to see you today. And I see our dear, dear sister. Can you come forward that we can pray for you? Yeah. Can you both come on up here, Cheryl? Cheryl, I'm so glad that you're here today. I want the deacons to come forward. Deacons wives. Deacons wives. Come up here. Deacons wives. We need to have a special prayer for our dear Cheryl here today. It was about a year or so ago that she lost one of her sons. We had the funeral. And Cheryl is often not physically well to be able to... Deacons wives, if we could come up. I think they're all serving. Yeah. But the ones that are here... Cheryl, God bless you. We're praying for you today that God is with you. Let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you, God, for all your grace. I thank you for my dear sister Cheryl. Lord, may you put your hand of love upon her. May you fill her with your Holy Spirit. May you fill her with joy and peace and believing. May you give her strength and health, dear God, as she's had different health concerns and issues. May you just strengthen her now, Lord. And we're so thankful that you gave her the power to even come to church today. We know it wasn't easy for her, Lord. And so bless her and how we thank you for her faith. Lord, she came to our vacation Bible schools when little Leandra was there. She came back in those days with her children and her grandchildren. And now they're grown up too, Lord. So watch over all of them, dear God. Uh, Rihanna and Riadi and the other ones as well, Lord. So thank you for Cheryl. Bless her. Thank you for Yvonne being here with her today. In Jesus' name, amen.